1: All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
2: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com spoken today. Some context, this happened a couple years back. I live in a pre-war building in a big city. It is, I believe, 15 floors high or so. The highest floor is labeled PH on the elevator. I live on the ninth floor. I went in the elevator alone, pressed the button as I always do, and remember it lighting up like usual. The elevator then proceeded to go up and up and up and completely past my floor. The ninth floor button was still lit up though. 10, 11, 12. I am paralyzed in shock and fear. I am scared of elevators and I inwardly imagine if the elevator just kept going and crashed into the roof of the building. It goes up to 14 and then it says PH. The doors open. I am met with a most peculiar scene. I literally have stepped into someone's apartment. I'm in some sort of foyer, and I see hooks with some baseball caps. I glance into another room whose door was slightly ajar and see a kitchen, and there's a small bathroom in front of me. But none of that is as odd as the piece of paper taped to the door on my left that says police on it with do not cross yellow tape. At that point I noped out of there, but couldn't find stairs. So, yes, I had to go back down the same elevator. When I got to the lobby of my building, I recounted this bizarre event to my doorman. His eyes widened, and he pointed out two things to me. The penthouse is only accessible by key. So you cannot click the PH button in the elevator and go there, unless you insert a key and turn it. That's because, as I had already seen, the penthouse elevator opens directly into the apartment. The resident who lived in the penthouse apartment had just recently passed away the previous day. That leaves me to wonder. Why did the elevator take me to the penthouse without the key and without me pressing the button and completely ignore my floor? Could the former resident have been going up to his place or playing a practical joke on me? Or was it merely a coincidence? I guess I'll never know the answer. When I was around eight, nine years old, my grandma had passed away. My mom and I stayed in her fifth wheel where she used to live on her own, and while I was eight, nine, I didn't have my own room, so I would sleep next to my mom. I don't really remember much, but one night I was awakened by my own sweat, I mean burning up in the covers. I opened my eyes and let them adjust, and that's when I saw something on the dresser cut out. It was white and looked like it was leaning down to get a better look at me. I quickly put my head under the blanket and tried shaking my mom awake. She must have been in a deep sleep because it took a few tries. I want to mention that this was in a very, very rural area in Florida. There's no way light could come in through the window as our driveway was blocked by huge trees. It had a round head shape, but the rest I didn't get a good look because, well, I hid. My mom finally woke up shortly after and asked panicked what was wrong and I told her. She's always mentioned I've had a gift, but I have become skeptical as I'm 25 now. However, recently I've been having really odd sleeps where I'm awakened by something, same voice every time, saying, hello, or what's the time. It's been hard to sleep as well. Ever since I was a child, I've been terrified of the dark and couldn't explain why. But when I close my eyes, I can feel things on me and even hear them, but when I open my eyes it fades. Does anyone else have this issue? Is it something contacting me, or is it just the human body being strange like always? I'm between now. My other story was about a possible apparition moving through someone's kitchen. It got me thinking about when I was a kid 4-7, really young where I would wake up to go use the restroom in the middle of the night. Can't recall the time because I never really looked, but the house was dark and I slept in my bedroom at the end of the second-story hallway. Across the hall was my brother's room. Down the hall to the left was an office room area. Directly down the hall was double doors leading to my parents' room, and to the end of the hall at the right was the bathroom and stairs leading down. Now, I would leave my bedroom from the left side of the hall to use the bathroom, which would be directly catty-corner to my room. And I remember at least twice where there would be a dog-type silhouette. One time it was moving from the bathroom to the office area. The second time it was just sitting at the top of the stairs, staring in my direction. I remember this dog was huge, possibly the size of a large German shepherd. It had pointed ears and a dull red glow in its eyes. I assume it was black, but it was always so dark I'd just see its silhouette. It terrified me, obviously. This could have been my imagination, but I hadn't watched scary movies like Pet Cemetery or really any scary movies at all because of my age so I had nothing to compare this figure to or even suggest to myself mentally, like a nightmare or hallucination. I had no reference point, basically. Anyway, I did eventually see Pet Cemetery and woke up to an undead corgi beside my bed. But this was after the dark dog-like figure, years later, I believe. Any ideas? The house was only a few years old at the time and was built on farmland. To address any questions ahead of time, yes, we had a series of dogs growing up. However, at this time, we only had one named Ginger, and she was smaller than the figure I'd seen, maybe like 20 25 pounds and blonde or white. I, 22 female, have always had problems sleeping going back as far as the age of 7 8. I didn't have the best childhood. Both my parents were drug addicts and split up when I was about five. My father was abusive towards my mom and would cheat constantly when they were together. Due to that, my siblings and I were put in foster homes when I was six, seven. My sister and I were always together in the same homes total of three, and my older brothers were also moved from home to home separate from us. Around the time we had all moved back in with my mom, my sleeping problems had gotten worse. I couldn't sleep. I would feel like I was being watched and would stay up as much as I could do to some chest pains and constant horrible nightmares. That would subside until high school. During high school, I would get sleep paralysis two-four times a night. If I were to take a nap during the day, I would also get sleep paralysis. I would just deal with it. Up until I started to see shadows and hear voices during sleep paralysis. One night, I had fallen asleep and woke up and saw a figure standing at the corner of the room. It was a lady dressed in all black with a veil over her head. She slowly approached me, then got on top of me and started screaming in my face. This terrified me, I had never experienced something like that before. During this time, I was also depressed. I didn't see her again or think about it until today. My friend came over and said that he had seen a lady wearing all black in front of me looking at me intensely, and when he turned and looked back, she was gone. What does this mean? The last time I had an encounter with her, I was very depressed, and although my mental state isn't the best right now, I am just slowly getting out of a depressed episode. I heard somewhere that she appears when you are close to death. How true is this? When I was a graduate student, I needed to travel up into the Arctic Circle in Canada to collect some atmospheric data that couldn't be collected close to civilization. The story that follows is one that I have shared with quite a few people over dinner or drinks. But there's one detail I've always left out when retelling it. This time I'm going to include that detail since it has always bothered me. The facility that was hosting me was a research station 20 km outside of the nearby small town that started life in the 1950s as a rocket launch base. Since then it has fallen in and out of disuse, so it has a lot of creepy structures like old rocket gantries and shelters that are eerie, along with a collection of connected main buildings. This place can get pretty busy during the peak season as there are polar bears up there, but when I was visiting was decidedly off-peak, and it was going to be just me and two other researchers staying out there full-time. During the day there was also a mechanic and a facility manager, but not a lot of life. The nature of the measurements I was taking meant it had to be done late at night, so I set up my equipment at the beginning of the week and set about running the experiments. It was a slightly unnerving experience going from a thriving university campus to a lost in time rocket launch base in the middle of the Arctic, and I had a lot of trouble getting used to cooking meals for one or two in the gigantic kitchen meant to feed an army. I was occasionally talking to the two others at the base, but we mostly kept to ourselves this meant that by friday i was starting to get pretty bored i looked around the room i was using as a research post and behind a decommissioned aim 7 d sparrow rocket in the corner i found a box of old vh's movies score i rifled through the box and found a few good ones and watched them back to back to get through a particularly dull evening while i waited for the right time to start the night's tests the final movie i ended up watching was the 1982 classic the thing which I hadn't seen before but had heard was pretty good. It turns out this was a big mistake, as the movie Spoiler Alert is about researchers isolated in an Arctic base as a body snatching alien monster tears through them. This set the tone for the night as I have a poor tolerance for horror, suspense movies, but I figured I would go grab a drink with the other researchers who would often be downstairs grabbing coffee at any hour of the night and then get down to business. I hadn't been down all evening since I had been binge-watching crappy VH's tapes, but the complex seemed quiet. No radios were on. There were no movement sounds. A half-drunk cup of coffee sat on the table beside the crust of a sandwich, but the coffee was cold, as was the automatic coffee pot. No one had been here for hours. I thought this was quite weird as researchers usually can't go more than half an hour without a fresh cup of coffee. Seeing as it wasn't too late yet, I decided to knock on the door of one of the other researchers' dorm rooms. No answer. I searched the garage and the other connected buildings, but found no one, only the howl of the wind and strange bumping noises from the metal structure creaking and settling. I reasoned that the other two researchers must be out late finishing some field work and hoped they were all right. As creeped out and worried about the others as I was, I had work to do and had to put this out of my mind. I knew that people doing field work took handheld radios with them that had a receiver in the office, so I cranked up the volume to be sure I could hear it in case they needed to get a hold of the base, which was me at this point. I set to work on my evening data collection that was going to last from just after 10.30 p.m. until about 3 a.m. on this particular run. The first two hours were uneventful in terms of both the scientific data and in terms of the situation at the base. The only change was that a strong wind was whipping up outside, meaning that ice crystals were filling the air and visibility was maybe 10 meters. I was getting very worried about whether the other two researchers were going to get back safely. Shortly after 12.30 things started to pick up on the scanning equipment and the same events that caused the northern lights started to cause activity. Sadly, I couldn't see the northern lights as the driving wind had whipped up too much ice into the air. My equipment could still detect it though, so that was a small victory. As I started to write down the time and intensity information in my log for the particularly strong 1248 event, from downstairs I heard KSHRRRKT. I jumped, breaking the tip of my pencil and tipping the chair over. I felt silly for jumping at what was probably just someone slamming a door, but when the clatter of the chair falling subsided there was nothing again. Only the wind. I tentatively went downstairs to see who had come in, but there was no one, and no snow or water on the floor. No one had entered the main door in hours. I stood stock still and listened carefully for five solid minutes, but heard nothing but the wind. No movement anywhere in the connected buildings of the base. I hate an event without an explanation, so it took me a long time to make myself head back upstairs and resume logging data. But no sooner had I done so than I heard someone shout something like AHA. My hair stood on end, I had goosebumps all over. I could tell from the way their shouts sounded that they were in one of the outlying buildings attached to the main base by sheltered hallways. I shouted hello back as I walked downstairs, but coming to a stop by the garage door, I heard nothing back. Once again, just the wind howling. At this point, I was truly freaked out, and having watched the thing just hours earlier was not helping. I went into the garage and grabbed a short length of square steel tubing like a club. I spent the next 40 minutes slowly and methodically making my way through the base's buildings. I didn't find any water or snow at any of the entrances, no footprints or other signs of entry, and no signs of life anywhere. There was nobody here but me. I went back up to my work area, set the metal bar down on my lap, and basically just stared at the doorway until dawn. The scientifically interesting events were over, and I dared not turn my back or sleep as I had a creeping suspicion that there was someone else in the base that meant to do me harm. The next morning I finally got out of the chair and did another walk around, and just like the night before I found absolutely nothing that indicated that anyone else was there. I was decidedly freaked out about the shouts I had heard the night before, and the fact that the other researchers hadn't returned. I knew going outside this time of year was dangerous because of polar bears, but I risked it and took a perimeter walk around the base anyway just to see if I could spot signs of the others. I found nothing. Pure beautiful empty arctic desolation everywhere with the ancient launch buildings in the distance. No tire tracks, no footprints except my own. Not a damn thing. I ended up staying up all day and night Saturday as well and thankfully there were no more unexplained shouts from distant parts of the complex. I was able to play some TF2 with a friend to relax a little, which was helpful, but I was sad to let him go as I was still completely on edge. There were also no signs of the other researchers whom I was afraid were lost dead at this point. I wrote down everything that had happened as I was sure that when the manager showed up on Monday, they were going to be pretty damn suspicious of the new guy claiming the others disappeared without a trace. I finally crashed on Sunday, a nervous, sleep-deprived wreck. I still took the time to stack shit on the stairs leading up to my room, put a dresser against the door, and took my trusty steel-bashing bar to bed with me like a teddy bear. Monday morning bright and early the other staff showed up, and to my extreme surprise, so did the missing researchers. It turns out that they had taken an unplanned trip into the city for the weekend, and no one had bothered to tell me that I was going to be solo at the base. I was quite relieved that they were okay, but I was still really disturbed by the noises I had heard as there was no freaking way I had imagined them. In retrospect, the noises were very likely caused by the same phenomena I was observing in the atmosphere. When a strong event happens, it can disrupt radio communication, bounce signals around, or trigger some old radios to detect a carrier and blast static. It's quite likely that the noises I heard were that damn radio I had turned up triggering when those strong events happened. All told, I was glad things turned out the way they did, that the other two researchers were safe, and that the noises I heard were probably just the radio embellished by my dumb decision to watch a horror movie about people in the same damn situation. That said, I was still very glad to be out of there the following day, as there was one detail to the experience that just did not add up. Remember that cup of cold coffee and crust I mentioned earlier? It got tidied up sometime on Sunday, as it was not there when I got up bright and early Monday. Now granted I was sleep-deprived and stressed the hell out, but I do not remember touching it. In fact, it goes against my philosophy on such matters that people should clean up their own messes. Each of the two researchers, the manager and the mechanic, all said they were in town from Friday night until later in the morning on Monday, so it wasn't them but I am also pretty damn sure that it wasn't me, and that bothers me to this day. I was standing next to the recreation center on Thedys Lake with my friend, Gordon P., when we saw it a scaly creature emerging from the lake and moving onto the shoreline. The sight was terrifying, just as we had described to others. The creature had a roughly triangular shape with dark, bulging fish-like eyes and a mouth filled with razor-sharp teeth. A spike protruded from the top of its head, adding to its menacing appearance. We estimated its weight to be around 120 pounds, standing at about 5 feet tall and 5 feet wide. Overwhelmed by fear, we quickly turned and ran for our lives. With its webbed extremities propelling it forward, the creature pursued us relentlessly until we were a safe distance from the lake. Unfortunately, it managed to catch up with Gordon, causing a deep gash on his hand with its sharp, pointed head. Still trembling with terror from our encounter with the monstrous amphibian, we hurriedly made our way to the nearest Royal Canadian Mountain Police Station. We recounted the incident to the officers, showing them the cut on Gordon's hand that was inflicted by the creature's razor-sharp fin. The authorities recognized the sincerity in our story, and immediately initiated a search more like a monster hunt in Theddy's Lake. However, despite their efforts, no trace of the creature was found during the investigation. The case was nearly dismissed until four days later, on August 23 of the same year, at approximately 3.30 in the afternoon. Russell Van Nys and Mike Gold came forward with their own sighting of the creature from the opposite side of Theddy's Lake. Unlike our encounter where we were pursued, This time, the creature simply emerged from the lake, glanced around, and submerged itself back into the water. Van and Gold described the creature's face as resembling that of a monster, with a humanoid body standing at least five feet tall. Its skin was silver-colored and covered in scales, while a sharp point jutted out from its head. The creature's ears were unusually large, and its eyes sent shivers down their spines with their horrifying appearance. I'm from Victoria, British Columbia, and my story is from there. A couple of years ago, I was going to art school, and I had a part-time job at a grocery store. Part of our art lessons was to go out into various parts of Victoria and draw buildings and such, things like that. So one field trip we had, we went to a grave site, and we started drawing tombstones and stuff. I remember I sat down and I started drawing this tombstone, and there was a lady's name on there. Anyway, I started drawing it. A couple weeks later, I'm working at the grocery store and I'm pretty much the only one there. It's a really small grocery store and I'm sitting there with another cashier and in walks this lady and I can't see her because I have my back to the door but the other cashier that I was working with. We were talking blah 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 and she looks at me like she was so freaked out. So I turn around and I look and I see this weird looking lady with this long black dress on. I'm totally not lying. She was wearing this long black dress long scraggly hair gross looking skin like gray grayish tone and i'm northern so i can tell people's skin tones anyway she freaked me out so much like that was not what regular people look like so i screamed and ran away that was like my first instinct to just scream and run away i couldn't believe it once i realized that i had screamed and ran away from this lady i just realized i'm supposed to help i went back composed myself and i said can i help you She said, I don't know where I am like in this really creepy voice. So I was so freaked out by this lady. I looked at her. I was really close and her eyes just looked like they were held up with toothpicks, like it was just bugging out of her face. So I said, you don't know where you are, let me call you a cab. So I said, what's your name? She said, it's Elizabeth. And just a couple weeks earlier, when I was drawing this tombstone, I remember what the name of that lady was and this fresh pile of dirt over there, and it looked like a fairly fresh grave, and the name was Elizabeth. I was so freaked out by this lady. I mean, she did not look like she was walking. It looked like she is floating. She had no footsteps at all. It shook me up so much. It's been like five years, and I still get creeped out when I think about her. I don't know if I had just seen that parallel between the living and the dead, but that person that I saw that hovered at me was not human." As a long haul trucker, I've encountered my fair share of unusual and eerie situations on the road. One incident that still sends shivers down my spine happened around six years ago when I was driving along with a friend. We found ourselves on a desolate mountain road, far from civilization. Little did we know, this journey would introduce us to a chilling encounter that would forever haunt our memories. As we cruised along the winding road, engrossed in our conversation, my friend suddenly interrupted with an urgent tone in his voice. He told me to pay attention to the truck driver who had just passed us, gesturing wildly as if warning us not to stop. Intrigued by his urgency, I turned my gaze in the direction he pointed, catching a glimpse of the truck disappearing into the distance. Curiosity peaked. I
1: Wherever you listen to podcasts. ACast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Kept
2: my eyes peeled, searching for any signs of danger or unusual activity. And then it happened. A few moments later, I noticed a figure on the side of the road. It appeared to be a woman hunched over something, her silhouette barely visible in the darkness. The image was fleeting as we were quickly approaching a bend, making it difficult to discern any details. My friend, however, had a clearer view and immediately relayed his observations. He insisted that the woman was eating something from the ground, possibly a roadkill. The thought alone was enough to send a shiver down my spine. But what disturbed my friend even more was when the woman turned to look at us as we passed by. The chill that crept up my spine intensified, and a sense of unease settled over us the whole situation seemed inexplicably unsettling leaving us with more questions than answers who was this woman what was she doing in the middle of nowhere feasting on something on the roadside and why did the truck driver feel compelled to warn us as we continued our journey the image of the mysterious woman stayed etched in our minds lingering like a haunting presence About 10 years ago, my family and I were doing some fishing four-wheeling in the back country of Colorado. This area is well out of cell phone range, and we have been here multiple times before. We usually split up into groups of two, one kid with each parent. We each have a small walkie-talkie to communicate with the other group. My mom and I got out of the Jeep and proceed to start fishing in the creek. And not three minutes later, we get a bear and bear cub by the river. We are coming back to pick you up over the radio, which is nothing new. We see bears quite often. So my mom and I hightail it back to the road and hop in the jeep. We drive a few miles upriver before we decide to head out again and fish. Well, we have our full day of fishing and start to head out of the area. And on the way out about two or three feet off of the road is an aspen tree stump that had been chainsawed of at some point. Standing on the stump was the bear cub, just hanging out playing on its own. We don't see Mama Bear, so we decide to drive by it. Even if we did see her, we would just take off down the road. So I have a disposable camera, and we stop for a quick moment to take a few pictures of it. I am literally close enough to touch it. We all stare in amazement because we have never seen a bear cub this close. So naturally, we develop the pictures. The pictures have the background, the tree stump, the road everything in perfect focus but no bear everyone in my family saw the bear and we have no idea what happened we all refer to it as the ghost bear i write this account with a heavy heart a tale born from the shadows of a mission that blurred the lines between duty and the haunting specters of war we were a navy seal sniper team deployed behind enemy lines in israel working in tandem with Israeli commandos. Our objective was clear. Gather intel, disrupt enemy operations, and remain unseen in the unforgiving landscapes of Gaza. Days turned into nights, and nights into endless stretches of silence as we lay concealed in the shadows, our camouflage blending seamlessly with the harsh terrain. The psychological toll of remaining hidden, observing the ebb and flow of life on the other side, was as exhausting as any physical demand our training had prepared us for. My gaze remained fixed through the scope, observing the eons' old dance between the cities. The sounds of distant prayers mixed with the occasional bursts of gunfire echoed through the air. It was an eerie symphony, a testament to the perpetual struggle that unfolded beyond our hidden vantage point. One moonlit night, the tranquility shattered. A whisper in the wind carried tales of an enemy sniper— a phantom in Gaza known for his mind games. His reputation preceded him, tales of psychological warfare that left adversaries questioning their own sanity. The silence morphed into a surreal anticipation as we became aware of an unseen adversary playing a deadly game of cat and mouse. Days turned into sleepless nights, with each member of our sniper team taking turns on watch. We felt the unseen eyes of the enemy, a disconcerting presence that transcended the physical realm. Shadows seemed to move independently, and every shift in the wind carried a threat we couldn't quite grasp. Then it happened. A shot, distant yet thunderous, echoed through the silence. The bullet narrowly missed one of our own, a chilling reminder that we were not alone in the darkness. The mind games had begun. As the days passed, the psychological warfare escalated. Whispers in the dark, shapes that danced at the edge of our vision, and the relentless anticipation of an unseen adversary weighed on our minds. The line between friend and foe blurred in the Obsidian night. Survival became our only mission. The enemy sniper, elusive as a phantom, kept us on edge, wondering if the next step we took would be our last. It was a game of wits, and we were pawns in a deadly chess match played on the borders of war. In the end, we survived, but the scars were etched not just on our bodies, but on our souls. As I looked out over the contested land, I couldn't help but wonder what our encounter with the elusive sniper impact, the overall war between Israel and Palestine, was the psychological trauma we endured a microcosm of the larger, enduring struggle that echoed through the ages. The war continued, a relentless force that swept through the land like an unyielding tide. Our mission was a drop in the vast ocean of conflict, a story whispered in the hidden corners of a war-torn world. As I left the shadows behind, I carried the weight of those days with me, wondering if our encounter with the Phantom Sniper would ripple through the annals of history, a fleeting moment in the eternal dance between nations. My cousin and I were on our way home from an event one evening, and decided to take the lake roads home because it was dusk, and we knew the lake would look so pretty and serene. The particular lake we drove around is still decently surrounded by the woods, so there are lots of dense areas. We were driving past this giant field next to the lake that was lined with trees or woods on three sides when she screamed at me to stop the car and back up. Her scream practically made me jump out of my skin, but I agreed and backed up confused. She looked all frantic, so I asked her why she made us back up, and she claimed she saw some kind of animal, but it wasn't a normal animal. She said it was standing on its back legs like a bear and that it was huge and covered in white fur. Whatever it was wasn't there by the time we'd backed up. She's kind of a skeptical person and I'm more of the one who believes in the crazy stuff so seeing her so freaked out had me thinking she definitely had to have seen something. And I knew there was a legend of the Lake Worth monster in that general area that dates back to I think maybe the 60s. So my brain immediately jumped on that. The next time I saw her We both got on Google, so she could see what comes up when you type that in. I'll never forget the way her mouth dropped open. She claimed it looked just like what she saw. This was a few years ago when this happened, so I don't know if other people have had any recent experiences or not, because I haven't heard anything. But it's something I'll definitely never forget. I was walking through a majestic redwoods forest in California, soaking in the tranquility and beauty of nature. Little did I know that my peaceful hike would take a dramatic turn, plunging me into a heart-pounding encounter that would leave me questioning everything. As I strolled along the winding path, the forest embraced me with its towering trees and the gentle rustling of leaves. Suddenly, a noise shattered the serene ambience, jolting me from my reverie. My senses heightened, and my heart skipped a beat. Something was approaching, something fast. Before I could react, a massive figure burst into view, sprinting at an incredible speed. It was a Bigfoot. In those fleeting seconds, the enormity of the situation struck me, and fear gripped my every thought. My rifle, resting casually on my shoulder, was now a stark reminder of my vulnerability. It remained there, untouched and useless, as the Bigfoot swiftly disappeared into the depths of the woods. The encounter happened so abruptly and unexpectedly that there was no chance for me to raise my weapon and defend myself. The realization sent shivers down my spine, but what perplexed me even more was the reason behind the Bigfoot's panic. What could have scared such a creature? Its wild sprint through the forest conveyed a sense of urgency, as if it was fleeing from something relentless. The creature seemed completely unbothered by my presence, as if humans were inconsequential in its world. My mind raced with questions. What unknown danger had crossed paths with the Bigfoot? Was there a larger threat lurking in the depths of the forest, unseen and menacing? I couldn't help but feel a mixture of awe, curiosity, and deep unease. It was 27. I was with a couple of my friends camping. I was 16 and was just with some 16-18 year olds on this fun camping trip out in the woods behind some of these guys' houses. We picked a spot in the clearing where it would be like a little party kind of site, although I don't do drugs or even smoke weed or any of that. I grew up with that going on all around me so I tried to avoid it. But nobody brought weed or anything along, I don't think. So we all hung out in this clearing with three different tents set up and with a fire pit in the middle. We had planned to spend four or five days it was summer vacation so we didn't have school i think this was early august anyway we all decided to hang out in the clearing roasting marshmallows and everyone but me having beers i sat around making s'mores and the sun was just beginning to set and we were all having a good time at around seven or so we heard something moving in the bushes nearby and someone threw an empty beer bottle at the bushes We heard the smash and watched something climb out of the bushes and lumber back into the trees. We thought it was just some psycho person, but everyone got a little bit nervous. Later that night, I was asleep in the tent with three other people. The only person I knew was my friend, Paul, who invited me along. I remember everything being silent, and then I heard a sort of popping sound by the fire, and we all sat up. Crawling out, we could hear people in the other tent's voices saying, The F was that. Paul unzipped the tent and we crawled out. The fire which we had put out about an hour or two ago was now roaring with flames. We put it out and thought maybe someone poured gasoline all over the fire and lit a match or lighter and lit the fire. But we never heard the gas pouring or a match being struck or lighter being flicked. We also didn't hear anybody running away because we would have heard them. It was at this point there was an awful smell but had a stuffy nose and couldn't make it out really. It may have been a skunk, but Paul said one of the other guys said, it was like rotten meat, but we had not smelled it earlier or since. Some other people began holding their shirts up to their noses as if a pungent smell had just appeared. We were all a little on edge, but I guess some people agreed, F it, let's just stay here. Nobody brought any guns to fend ourselves off, but one guy, who was about 18, said he had a pocket knife. Our second day here, nothing happened until it became night again. At around 4 a.m., we were all fast asleep and awoken by noises behind our tent. We started to get out when Paul said, Shut the F up for a minute. We sat in silence listening to the noises which sounded like voices I couldn't make out. The voices seemed to be coming closer to us, and we quietly climbed out of the tent. The voices still approaching our camp, the two other guys in our tent crept to the other tents and woke the other people up telling them to get out here at once. All 13 of us stood quietly listening to the voices get closer and louder. At the point where they had gotten behind our tent, we heard the voices stop, but an eerie humming noise was coming from the trees all around us. One of the guys, I think named Ben, who was 17 or 18, walked to about 10 feet from the tree line where the voices had been coming from. He said, Oi, who is there? And we quietly waited for a response. We heard nothing except distant crickets. He walked back to us and right then we heard the voices moving away which to me sounded like what ben had asked "Oi, who's there but it didn't sound like ben moving away almost like something was trying to mimic what he sounded like i could hear the voice sort of crackly and jumpy repeating those words as it moved off into the distance we all got back to our tents but didn't sleep the next day someone had left to their house to grab something they came back a little later with a potato gun saying he'd shoot the F out of the thing bothering our campsite. Around 7 p.m., not really partying, but just huddled around the fire, a girl, just one of two, stands up, practically pissing herself, and we find out what's wrong. Here's one of the similarities I found with a well-known Goatman story. She said that last night, when we were listening to the voices, there was another person with us. There was 13 of us now, but she insisted that there had been a 14th. Reading the Anansi Goatman story and connecting that experience later made my butt clench. We all started to get nervous again and Ben told us he was going to run back to his house. He and Potato Gun Guy were neighbors and he said he was going to get his father to come out here with a gun and wait. Someone went with him and Paul and I were just talking to each other about how we could leave early if shit got too chaotic, which is was starting to get to now. We were in the middle of talking about how we should pack up when we saw Ben standing in the woods. It was clearly him with his blue hoodie and jeans, and he was looking straight at us from about 40 feet away, but we didn't know what the F he was doing. The person who went with him wasn't standing next to him. It was just him standing alone watching us. It was a 25-minute walk back to his house, but he couldn't have been back five minutes later. Everyone got really uncomfortable, and people started yelling, ''Hey, Ben!'' what are you doing? But he just kept watching us. We watched as he seemed to slink back into the trees. By now, people were scared out of their minds, and I was too. Why was Ben being a prick and just staring at us and not doing anything? We decided to pile into one tent and wait. A short while later, the other Ben turned up with his dad, and the other person that went with him and his dad was holding a hunting rifle. Ben told him what happened with the voices and the father walked that way into the trees and took a look around. He said it felt like eyes were watching him from every direction. Paul then told Ben's dad that we just saw another Ben standing in the woods staring at us. Ben's dad walked over there and looked around too. He came back and said he could stay with us and the gun but said he would control it because if we got drunk and started shooting a gun around, we'd all kill ourselves. He slept in Ben's tent. It was our third night here, and it was really creepy. We quietly listened for it, being anywhere nearby. Paul had a funny look in his eyes and started sweating. He later told me that while we were all sitting around, he saw a strange figure moving through the woods, moving its arms around in a strange jumpy motion. Around 2 a.m., we were all going to get ready for bed, and we heard it. It was saying something, but in a highish voice. It sounded like it was saying, Oi, who's there? completely mimicking what Ben had said the night before. Ben's dad tried to pinpoint where the voice was coming from and fired a shot into the trees. That gunshot was loud as F. Right after, we could hear a creepy chanting like male voice. I was scared. Paul was scared. Everyone was. The chanting sounded like a deep voice chanting so not multiple people. Underneath the chanting, we could hear something mumbling noises. Again, another shot was fired. But i saw what ben's dad was shooting at it was a figure crouched low by some bushes it looked like a direct hit but the figure did not move instead it stood up sort of hunched over and moved back into the forest we raced back into our tents and i could hear crying and moaning coming from right behind our tent all four of us in the tent were getting scared and then i could kind of smell a strong vinegar smell that was very powerful then i noticed what looked like fingertips moving along the tent wall and to the door and moved down the zipper to grab the part you used to open. Paul dove over to the zipper and held it down as whoever or whatever tried to pull it open. Paul and one other guy in the tent started yelling, Who's out there? And after a minute, we could hear a screeching noise as this thing took off into the darkness. We decided to say, F the fourth and fifth day, let's get out of here in the morning. Here's the scariest experience of that night. At 3.45 a.m. checking my watch I had to go pee. Since what had just occurred not long ago, I decided I wasn't getting out of the tent and maybe I could stick my bird out of a small zipper opening. But then I pictured whatever it was out there biting or ripping my thing off, so I decided to open up the tent, slither outside just slightly and pee to the side of the door. As soon as I was finished, I noticed someone by the furthest tent away. I grabbed my flashlight beside my pillow and turned it on and shined it towards the person. It looked like Paul, back facing to me, hunched over by the tent. But Paul was right behind me sleeping in the tent. I crawled back inside but kept my light shined on the other Paul. I whispered, Paul, wake up. And the moment he did, I looked outside to see the other Paul stand up and turn facing toward me and stare at me. I dove back in and leapt under my sleeping bag and huddled there awake as I explained to Paul what I had just seen. I guess at one point in the night, I was facing another way and was freaking out, but one of the guys in the tent said he woke up. Eyes still half closed as he rolled over, he could see. The other Paul looking through the part in the tent flap, I didn't close. He thought it was just Paul coming to wake them up, but realized the real Paul was asleep right beside him. We packed up and left. I hiked through the dense underbrush of the secluded forest, accompanied by my two friends, Jack and Mark. We had embarked on this hunting trip in search of pheasants, seeking the thrill of the chase and the satisfaction of a successful hunt. As we made our way deeper into the forest, our paths diverged, each of us venturing into different sections in pursuit of our feathered quarry. I followed my instincts, trusting my senses to guide me through the thicket. That's when I caught a whiff of something foul a putrid odor that clung to the air like a festering wound. Driven by curiosity and an indomitable spirit, I followed the source of the smell. The stench grew stronger with each step until I stumbled upon a clearing bathed in dappled sunlight, and there before my disbelieving eyes stood a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered. It was tall and emaciated, standing unnaturally upright on its two hind legs. Its arms were grotesquely elongated, stretching down to graze the forest floor like a gorilla in repose. A crooked spine gave it a hunched appearance, while its face, devoid of horns, appeared deformed and twisted. Moonlight cast an eerie glow upon its gray, almost translucent skin, and its eyes shimmered with a diamond brilliance. My heart pounded within my chest as I raised my rifle, my hands trembling with both fear and anticipation. The creature's gaze met mine, and for a fleeting moment time stood still, I squeezed the trigger, the sound of the gunshot shattering the forest's serenity. To my astonishment, the bullet passed through the creature, as if it were nothing more than a specter, an illusion. It showed no reaction, as though my attack had no impact on its ethereal existence. In the blink of an eye, the creature vanished into the depths of the forest, leaving me bewildered and filled with a mix of awe and uncertainty. When my friends finally rejoined me, I could not contain the urgency to share my encounter. I poured out the details of the strange creature, recounting the sight, the smell, and the ethereal nature of the encounter. Their laughter filled the air, their skepticism cutting through the fabric of my story. They mocked me, accusing me of indulging in hallucinogens or letting my imagination run wild. But deep down, I knew what I had witnessed was real. As far as the time and place goes, We were down by the river at night, looking for an abandoned car with drugs inside of it. We didn't find any, so we're just cruising back home, top lights off because it's late, and suddenly something darts out in front of our police cruiser from the right side. So I swerve left to avoid hitting whatever it is at 50 kilometers an hour or whatever the speed limit was at the time. Next thing I know, I've got a face full of bloodied fur and all sorts of smells like somebody's thrown up their KFC gravy all over. Same thing over my partner who's driving. When we get out to inspect whatever it is we've hit, we're both just like, what is that? It was an awful stench. We look around and don't see anything apart from the big patch of dirt and bloodied fur or whatever Sorry, I'm not good with visual details and bits of gore all over the road. It wasn't until recently when I began doing research for this type of stuff at home, I found out what it could have been. A young juvenile Bigfoot. This was a strange, humanoid-looking creature. This was all that was left of it. Don't laugh, it's the only explanation we can find. The smell that it left behind was horrendous. It was the most musty, stinky stink I've ever smelt. We decided not to tell anybody. We would have been the laughingstock of the entire county. We just stuck with our story and said we hit a large dog. Nothing more ever became of it, besides nobody would have believed this anyway.